But I am excited about uh, this new series we're beginning this morning, and that is uh, Questioning Christianity. And the reality is, there are some questions that we ask about God, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, that we're curious about, that you are asking, that you have asked, uh, that you'll come across, you'll come across other people that are asking these questions. And so I'm hoping that this series will strengthen your faith, that it will enable you to engage in conversation with those around you and be of help to you. Or if you're on your spiritual journey and you're still seeking to know God, that this may help you uh, see clearly who God is and help you in your, in your journey towards Him. But before we uh, dive into this first question, which is, is anyone out there? And this question deals with, does God exist? Which is obviously foundational if you're going to have any type of relationship with this, this God. And so, does God exist? Is anyone out there? Before we dive into the question, I, I want to make a statement that I think we'll all agree with. And that is, uh, we all have beliefs. Whether you are a Christian, or a non-Christian, or an atheist, or an agnostic, we all have beliefs. For example, you have this table set up here. And you have these different objects on the table. You have uh, the world. In other words, we all have a belief about how the world came into being. We all have a belief about life. Like this plant's representing life. Uh, We all have an idea of life, the meaning of life, the purpose of life, how life can be sustained in this world. And then you have my... um, elementary attempt of representing the Declaration of Independence, uh, which gets at human rights, the idea of human rights. And we all have a belief about human rights and morality, whether you're a Christian or not. And so what I want to show you this morning, not just what does God exist or not, we're going to get to that question, but I also want you to admit at least, at least I want to push you to admit this, that we all have beliefs about these subjects and others as well. And so what I want to get you to do this morning is to not only recognize your beliefs, but I want you to, to lift up the tablecloth and find out what is it that is, that is supporting your belief. Why do you believe these things? And I'm going to share three clues with you this morning that I think make a uh, persuasive argument for the existence of God. I'm not going to prove God's existence uh, beyond a shadow of a, of a doubt, but I will, I think by putting forth these three arguments uh, together form a persuasive argument for the existence of God. And so the first clue I want us to consider this morning is the origin of the universe. Whether you're a Christian or not, the popular belief today is that the universe had a beginning. And I remember several years ago, I had a conversation with a man named Alex and we were having a conversation about God. And he agreed to meet with me. And it was interesting because uh, you know, my name is Ron. And when he was involved in church, his youth minister was named Ron. And so he figured, hey, he liked that Ron, so maybe he'll like this Ron. And so he agreed, he agreed to meet with me. And we were talking about God. And he said, you know, Ron, I, I believed in God. And I, I went to church. And I would have said I was a Christian. But then I came to college and uh, I abandoned that belief. And I said, well, tell me why you did that. Tell me one of the reasons why you abandoned your belief in God. And one of the reasons he gave me was the origin of the universe. 
He, he, he traded the belief in a personal God that created the world to the Big Bang Theory. Or what you might call a, an impersonal uh, beginning to the universe. That the universe came into being by some impersonal force without any type of personal God behind it. And so I began to talk with him a little bit about that. And I, I, I tried to help him see that, you know, Alex, I understand what you've done. But don't you admit that you've, you've shifted from one belief to another. In other words, you cannot prove that the Big Bang happened. What you're doing is you're taking data and you're trying to piece together a theory, but you can't prove it. Just like I can't prove to you that God exists or that He doesn't exist, but that we have these beliefs that we cling to to explain things. And so he admitted to me that, you're right, Ron, you know, these are beliefs. I believe in uh, the Big Bang or some way the universe came into being, just like you believe that God created it. And so we both had beliefs. And if you think about a scientist, scientists, they look at the world and they say, okay, the world exists. So how did the world come into being? In other words, they see an effect and they back up and say, well, something had to cause this effect. And so they begin to back up, back up, back up, go through all these effects and causes. And they're trying to explain what they may call a first cause which for Alex was the Big Bang. And that satisfied Alex, that the, this first cause was the Big Bang. But I asked Alex, and I said, you know, Alex, uh, I understand the Big Bang theory, but my question is, what caused the Big Bang? In other words, the Big Bang was a natural phenomenon, so something natural had to cause it. And I simply asked him, what came before that? In other words... I said, I think we can believe that something doesn't come from nothing. Something doesn't come from nothing. That's why we always look for a cause. That's why scientists back up to try to find the first cause. And what I explained to him was just like you believe that uh, the universe came into being by a big bang, even though you can't explain how that happened, I believe the universe came into being by the power of a personal God. Genesis 1.1 says... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so just like you have a belief in an impersonal force bringing about all that is, I believe that God created things and put them into being. And the difference is, the Big Bang is a natural phenomenon, whereas I'm saying that something must be outside of nature to create nature. Because something doesn't come from nothing. So something outside of nature had to create nature, something supernatural, something that has existed from all time, that is eternal, that exists differently than the natural world. And the psalmist says in Psalm 90, verse 2, he says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so when we trace the effects back through the causes, what we end up finding is an uncaused cause. An eternal God. At least from a Christian perspective. And so when you look at this first clue, the origin of the world, why is there something rather than nothing is the question. Why is there something rather than nothing? 
And as you go back, my, my argument is, I think there's something rather than nothing because there's an, an eternal, personal God that spoke it into existence. And so what I'm asking you to do is just lift up the tablecloth under your belief as, as to why you think the world is here, how it came into being. Lift up the tablecloth and ask yourself, what's, what's supporting that belief? What's the first cause? And what I want to show you is that a Christian, even though you may not be convinced that God exists, I think you would have to at least say Christians are consistent in saying that there's an eternal, personal God. And from Him comes the existence of all there is. But either way, I want you to see that we have a belief. And you can't prove either one. And we both have this belief or we both take this step of faith, so to speak. The second clue that I want to point out is the order of the universe. And I just put a little plan up here to represent the, the order, the complexity, the, the design of the world. If you've taken anatomy or physics, you realize that the world is complex and yet there's order, there's predictability, there's regularity. I remember you know, in civil engineering classes that I was taking in Clemson, you, know, you would construct a building like this and the only way your formulas work is if the gravitational constant remains the same. Because you, you, you build for certain loads. You build this building to handle certain weights upon it. But that only remains constant if the gravitational constant remains. And so we live our lives based on the predictability of the world. And the question is, how did it come in to be like that? Why is it predictable? Why are these constants in place? Uh, scientist Francis Collins, in his book entitled The Language of God, states that when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants. The gravitational constant. Various constants about the strong and weak nuclear forces that have precise values if any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxies, stars, planets, or people. You know, so many of us are not at the level of Francis Collins uh, in, the, in the scientific realm. However, when we look around, we realize that the world is complex. And yet there seems to be order and predictability, regularity in the world. And so when you step back from that, you say, well, it, it's as if, like Francis Collins says, it's as, if, it's as if this was made for us. It's as if this, this world was made to support life. And from the Christian perspective, what we would say is, we believe that not only did God create all things, but He created the world to support life. Namely, animal life, plant life, human life. And although it's technically possible, though highly unlikely, that, uh, that maybe there are zillions of universes and we just find ourselves in one of those universes, we find ourselves on one of those planets that's just happened to be able to promote life, uh, that's highly unlikely. And so I wanna, what I want you to see is that this belief whether it's 
we just randomly came into being or that God created us with a specific purpose and created the world with a specific design are both beliefs. They're both beliefs. And I would just say, which one takes into account um, how the world is? The psalmist says in Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims His handiwork. In other words, the creation itself not only points to a beginning and a beginner, but also it points to the fact that He's a designer, that He put it in place to promote life. And so this, the clue of design and regularity with the clue of the origin of the universe, uh, I think, lends credibility to the belief that God exists. I believe it's reasonable. The third clue I want to share with you is morality. Like I said, this is my fancy copy of the Declaration of Independence. <clears throat> and, you know, the laws of our country uh, are rooted and grounded in the Declaration of Independence. And there's, there's a, uh, in our Constitution, is all, it all flows out of this one belief that all men are created equal. And therefore, we have equal rights. This is what we hear about all the time. Equal rights. Human rights. Right? And our country's laws, how we govern ourselves, at least for the time being, is based on that foundation. That all men are created equal. We all have equal rights. But my question is, where did we get that from? I mean, we see it on the table. We see it on the belief, on the tablecloth here. But when we peek underneath it, we wonder, now what, what is it that's holding that up? Where did that come from? That all men are created equal. Because if you believe that the world came into being by an impersonal force, by some explosion, and you arrived at this place, 2015, through evolutionary biology, then what makes you any different than an animal? For example, I was watching a show, this was a few years ago, but it really stuck in my mind because it was disturbing. Uh, it was about these, this hippopotamus, this hippopotamus group. I don't know what you call them, but they're a bunch of hippopotamus. Um, I'm not even sure what the plural form of hippopotamus is, but there were a lot of them. Anyway, there was this mother hippopotamus and this baby hippopotamus swimming around in the water. And then all of, a, all of a sudden, this male hippopotamus comes out of nowhere and begins to attack the baby. And just would not let up until the baby was dead. And I was looking at this thinking, man, this is disturbing. But you know what happened? I looked at that and I said, that's disturbing. But when you look at that, you say, that's disturbing. But what do you say after that? Well, that's just the way it is. That's the way the natural world works. You know, the strong kill the weak. Uh, you know, and that hippopotamus killed that baby hippopotamus. Uh, law enforcement didn't come out of the woodwork, you know, and arrest the hippopotamus. Or, you know, take him to trial or lock him up or shoot him. It's just the way it is. The strong kill the weak, and that's just the way it is in nature. And so my question is, when we, when we say all men are created equal, you know, where do we get that idea? You know, when you see ISIS in the Middle East beheading innocent people, you don't say, well, that's disturbing, but that's just the way it is. You say, that's disturbing, and someone ought to do something about it. Someone ought to bring them to justice. And my question to you is, where do you get the right to say that? 
I mean, the strong kill the weak. I mean, what, what makes you any different than the hippopotamus? You know, what gives you the right or the standing to say anything is right or anything is wrong? Unless you believe in a personal God, a personal holy and good God from whom morality flows, from whom the standard is erected. The well-known uh, philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche once said, the masses blink and say, we are all equal. Man is but man, but before God we are all equal. And he says, before God? But now this God has died. And what he's telling the culture is, on the one hand, you cannot say God is dead. And then on the other hand, try to hold to a morality that flows from belief in God. So Nietzsche's just trying to be consistent and saying, if you want to get rid of God, then you have to get rid of morality. If you get rid of God, there is no such thing as men are created equal. I mean, just look around you. Some of us are tall. Some of us are short. Some of us are faster. Some of us are smarter. What, what makes us equal? If we're just like the animal realm. That's Nietzsche's point. Now the Christian would say, well, we believe that, that men and women are created equal because this personal God that created the world created mankind in His image. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says that you know, God creates man and woman in His image, which sets us apart from the animal realm. And therefore we have higher expectations for mankind than we do a hippopotamus or a dog or a cat or a dolphin. Because there's, there's more dignity and value and there's this imprint of God on each one of us. And therefore we can say, whether you're fast or slow, whether you're smarter, whether you're more talented in this area, that's really irrelevant when it comes down to the equality of your value. So your quality is based on the fact that you were made by God, not your talents and your abilities. But that all flows from a belief in a personal God. With, without God, you can't say this is right or this is wrong. All you can say is, I like this or I don't like that. In his novel, uh, The Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky has one of his characters make this statement. He says, If God did not exist, everything would be permitted. If God did not exist, everything would be permitted. And he's right. You know, if there's no lawgiver, there are no laws. If the judge is not on the bench, there's no, there are no laws. And yet, in each one of us, we know there's a sense in which we all know there are some things that are right and there are some things that are wrong. You know, there are some things that are right no matter where you are in the world and there are some things that are wrong. We have that sense within us and so we can't deny it. And all I'm saying is we need to ask ourselves the question, where does that come from? We need to peek underneath the tablecloth and say, what basis do I have for saying anything is right and wrong? You know, if I believe that all the world came into being by an explosion and we're just here by 
you know, natural processes, then what makes me different than the hippopotamus? And I think you'd be forced to say nothing. That's why the more we try to unhook morality from God, we're going to get into more uh, disastrous moral issues in our country, such as killing people off that are no longer useful. Because see, once we unhook morality from God, the fact that we're all created equal because we're created by God, once you take out the foundation, all things are permissible. It's majority rule. Morality is relative. And so the question I want you to ask yourself, if you do not believe in God, is what is your morality standing on? What's underneath the tablecloth? And are you living consistently with your beliefs? And so what I sought to do in these three clues, the origin of the universe, the regularity, the, the, um, the design of the world, and life, as well as morality, is just to, sent, just to show you that when taken together, I think these are, these are uh, arguments that are persuasive. That, that they point to the existence of the personal God of the Bible. And whether you believe that or not, I think you would, you would agree with me that we all have beliefs. And I think that's important to recognize, that we all have beliefs. The question is, which belief is correct? Which one is most likely to be true? And so I encourage you to you know, continue to uh, attend these these sermons in this series because you may, you may even just say, you know, Ron, I, I believe God exists, but what God are you talking about? And we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about the Bible, God's Word. We're going to talk about how can there be just one true religion out of all these religions. We're going to talk about has science disproved Christianity. We're going to get into all those conversations, but I encourage you to come, come back and uh, bring a friend, bring a family member and let's continue the dialogue. And if you have any questions about what I've presented today, after the worship service, I'll be up front here or in the back. Uh, and I'd love to talk with you more about that. Or we can grab some coffee or some lunch sometime this week. And I'd love to go more in depth if you would like. And so now let us go to the Lord in prayer together. God, we just come before you believing that you are, you are good. Uh, that you brought all things into existence. And not only did you create all things, but you created it for a purpose, uh, to promote life and ultimately life in a perfect relationship with you through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that each sermon in this series would be beneficial to your people, as well as to those who are searching, searching for truth. God, would you lead us into all truth? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.